welcome back to the City of the Great King podcast with your host, Tyler Swatsky. That's me. Hello. Glad that you are here. Episode 5. This is our weekly episode number 5. You will want to come back next week. I mean, you should come back every week. But next week, mm, we're, we're doing something different. See, if you hop on over to my description, I put a little description of this podcast. It's on the website. It's whatever. <clears throat> if you try to listen to it, it'll be there somewhere on wherever you're listening. You'll, you'll see my description, and it says, my opening sentence, it features, this is what the podcast features, teaching episodes, check, we do those, devotionals, interviews, as well as sermons, Sunday school classes, and more. Hmm. Do we have teaching episodes? We do. That's what this is. Do we have Sunday school classes? We do. It's called the Augustine series, the Augustine class. But we are not featuring yet the other things that I have in that description. And that all changes next week. Oh, Lord willing, next week there we're going to do something a little different. We're going to do something special. You're going to want to hear it, I think. And there is a reason for what I talk about today. Uh-huh. It's great when you do a little bit of planning and you, you build towards something. So what we're talking about today is going to blend seamlessly into what we talk about next week. Do you remember February? How long ago was February? Man, we are in mid-June. So, how do months work? May, April, March, uh, February. Four months ago? Uh, Four months ago in February, something happened in our country. Do you remember? Yeah, that was the, the protests. The, tr- the truckers and the protests, not just in Ottawa, we obviously had Ottawa, but here in my own city, in Windsor, Ontario, there was a protest at the Ambassador Bridge in solidarity with the protests that were going on. Man, that was only four months ago. Same time, like, sheesh, four months ago? Uh, in solidarity with the truckers in Ottawa against um, against the COVID mandates and things of that nature. I was at that protest. I was a frequenter at this protest at the bridge. I couldn't make it to Ottawa, but I proudly made it to the one that we had here in Windsor. And, you know, I might as well just accept and admit to the fact that I was at this protest. Yes, it shouldn't be a scary thing. <laughs> but uh, I won't be able to hide it anyway if this is used against me in a court of law one day. Like, were you at this protest? Well, I mean, the government had drones, so they saw everything. They know everyone who was there. No point in trying to hide it. Um, I'm reading a book. It's one of the first fiction books I've read in some time. It's called A Gentleman in Moscow. Great book. And I'm not giving anything away by, or or spoiling it by saying kind of what the initial context setting of the book is, because it's right on the very first page. Uh, The book is about a guy who is uh, sentenced to life at the Metropole Hotel in downtown Moscow, Russia. And that is his basically his life sentence. He has to be in this hotel. His crime was that he had, um, and the setting is the early 1900s going up, moving up in, in Russia. His crime was that he had written some poetry during the time of the Tsar, and it was supportive of the Tsar. 
Well, if you know Russian history, there was a revolution, uh, kind of near near the tail end of World War One, and the the Bolshevik Revolution took place. They killed the Tsar. They they completely revolutionized Russia and went after the people who had supported the Tsar from the before times. And they were those who didn't who were seen as not supporting the Bolsheviks. And so the setting of this book is that they had found an old poem from this from this gentleman, this count, uh, that, that was supportive of the Tsar, but it was from like 15, 20 years before the Bolsheviks. And I mean, he's not going to deny that the poetry was his, it was his. So uh, they used it against him in a court of law. He had no, he has no idea in 1905 or whatever, when he writes this poem, that he's, he's going to end up answering for it in court. It's like that with our, with this protest. Like, ah, eh, you want to use it against me? Oh, sure. I was happily at that protest. We, it was for a good cause. So I'm there. And some of the listeners of the show, we protested together. We did. And once you protest together, you are bonded. You have a special bond. We will always have here online and college. We will always have that together. Right at the... Right, that's ours. That's our unique bond. But back in this... Back in February, at this protest at the bridge in Windsor... There, there were a whole bunch of trucks, of course, and people, there were semi-trucks, there were big rigs there, uh, and a lot of pickup trucks. And one truck had a trailer on the back of it, and on this trailer was a big board, and on this board was spray-painted in orange a message. And the message said, Leaders don't hide. Leaders don't Hi, that was the message. And this truck with the trailer would move around in a couple different locations strategically during this protest. So everyone eventually saw it. Their pictures were taken. I think the sign ended up on the news, all that. Leaders don't hide. What What is that message about? There's a lot to it, but it's a message to Trudeau. Of course, Justin Trudeau, if you remember, back when the truckers started way out in BC, they drove to his front yard right there in Ottawa, they go to Parliament Hill. What happens to the illustrious Prime Minister Justin Trudeau right as the truckers are set to arrive in Ottawa? Oh, he catches COVID. There you go. He has to, he, he runs away, he hides, he goes to a secret location where he records an address condemning the fringe minority with their unacceptable views and you know, the classic stuff, the classic thing that Trudeau does. And so when the truckers come to Ottawa, where's Trudeau to be found? He, oh, con nice conveniently enough, he gets COVID right then and he, he runs, he hides. So the message on this billboard or on this board on the trailer was a challenge to Trudeau, a challenge to his leadership. Leaders don't hide. They don't run. They don't run away. From responsibility. They don't avoid it. They don't seek to push it onto somebody else or pretend that it's not there. If you are in leadership, you do not get the uh, you do not get the luxury to run away or to hide. By taking a position of leadership, you are signing up for a position of public responsibility. And that responsibility doesn't go away just because you don't like the things that you are responsible for. It all falls under 
the jurisdiction of a leader. To face problems head-on, to actually lead. Leaders don't hide. Trudeau hid, but leaders don't hide. Now contrast that with what happened just two weeks later. Man, doesn't it feel like, like this was only four months ago and we forget things so quick, so quickly, but only two weeks after that happened, go across the ocean, go to the, go to the continent of Europe, and you have Russians starting an invasion into Ukraine. And the Ukrainian Prime Minister, Vladimir Zelensky. Now, Zelensky, prior to this war, he was not, I mean, no, we didn't, nobody out in the West knew anything about him, but even in Ukraine, from what I read, he wasn't the most popular guy. He, he's kind of just another globalist, lefty type, and it couldn't really inspire much of anybody. And he has, he gave a quote after the Russians started invading that I think is going to, like, like this quote rang across the earth, and it is a testament to strong leadership. See, the Russians pretty quickly came up to Kiev. To Kiev. They surround it. They are the kind of surround it. They're off in the outskirts, and they're getting close. Allegedly, there's all these teams of assassins trying to take out Zelensky. And President Biden and his administration and others, they're calling Zelensky and offering to take him out. Him and his family, like, like take him out of the country, bring him to a safer place, get him to Poland, get him to America, get him to Britain, wherever. They're offering him a ride. A ride out and he Zelensky responds I don't need a ride I need ammo boom I don't need a ride I need ammo like there you go my that's a man that is a leader right there you see wow that was an inspirational thing to say he recognize the position that he has and his family like these these guys are going after his family his capital city he's recording this night his nightly videos walking around like we haven't got anywhere we're here i don't need a ride out give me guns give me ammo give me some firepower we're gonna fight we're not running leaders don't hide now that is a moment of crisis that came for zelensky and is I mean, really still facing them, of course. But there is something that happens when crisis comes to a man. And uh, it's not just to men, but to mankind, to, to anybody. When crisis comes, it can make... Well, let, let me gender this. Crisis can make a man out of you, or it can make a coward out of you. That is the nature when crisis comes. We have... Uh, these quotes, um, never waste a good crisis. You ever heard that one before? Of course, when COVID comes onto the scene, say, like, oh, here's a crisis, and you never waste a good crisis. Now let's sneak in some more government control, some more surveillance. Even Trudeau himself, I remember a video that he put out, he's talking about the economy, and he said that the pandemic, I'm paraphrasing, but the pandemic has given us an opportunity to reimagine our economic institutions. He said something along those lines. Never waste a good 
crisis. Even in World War II, what Hitler did, there was a fire at the Reichstag in the 1930, early 1930s before he had the power that he had, and he used the opportunity that was given to him by this fire that hit essentially their parliament building and used it to consolidate all power unto himself and to eliminate his opponents. It's not exactly that simple, but he saw an opportunity and he took it. You don't waste a good crisis. You take advantage of it. Now, using a crisis or it having a profound changing effect is not necessarily a bad thing. Actually, what I had said before this was that crisis can make a man out of you. A lot of times when you go through some of the worst times of your life, seasons of loss, seasons of confusion, where things are taken away, where you're, you feel hopeless, helpless, all these types of things, when you face the crisis, that is when you have the biggest opportunity in your life to fundamentally change your direction. And I'm not talking theoretically. I'm talking from personal experience and from the experience of many people who I have ministered to. It is the crisis moments that can pull you out of a funk, pull you out of false thinking, uh, false teaching, bad doctrine, bad philosophy, bad habits, just a bad direction. When you go through crisis, that is your opportunity to fundamentally change your whole direction, your whole disposition, and you can come out a stronger, more principled man or woman. Crisis can make a man out of you, it can make you bold, it can make you stronger, but it can also make a coward out of you. Leaders don't run and hide. When crisis comes, the other side of it making a man out of you is it makes you a coward. You run away. You don't take responsibility for what's right in front of you, but you make excuses. You find a convenient way out. You push it onto somebody else. You delay. You demonize the other side. You don't put out answers. You just put out pithy sayings. This is what you do. You make, you make yourself a coward in the times of crisis. Leaders don't get to do that, though. Not a real leader. We, we have seen this. Two years of COVID compliance, of abdicated responsibility from our leaders. Just push it on to somebody else. Oh, well, they said to do this. Leaders hiding behind the so-called experts and who, who are unelected bureaucrats making decisions for how millions of people are going to live. Billions even across the world. Unelected bureaucrats get to decide how we live. Not even people who represent us. We shifted and abdicated responsibility to them to basically be the fall guys, the bad guys who put this control on our lives. After two years of this, it was a breath of fresh air to see a man like Zelensky to hear him say, I don't, need I don't need a ride, I need ammo. Like, to see a real leader step up, take responsibility, to fight, that was a breath of fresh air. As I, I don't know if you're wondering the same thing that I am, and have wondered for some time, where, where have our leaders gone? Haven't so many of them been hiding? Haven't so many of them run away and abdicated? Of course, we've seen it in the civil sphere. As just mentioned, the people we elected weren't making decisions. Doug Ford, 
the guy is relying on his science advisory table, his his COVID projection people, his top doctor to make the decisions on how we are going to live. It's not it's not Doug Ford, the guy who is actually elected to do it. You know, they hide behind other people. Where have our leaders gone? It's the same with the pastors. I'm part of Feb. I was so disappointed to hear that in Feb, well over 90% of the churches and the pastors just completely complied with all of the overreach of mandates over the church, of Caesar lording authority over the church. So disappointed. Where, where have our leaders gone? Or what about even in our households, the men who are supposed to be leading their families, men who are supposed to lead their wives and, um, according to the scripture, wash her in the water of the word, They're supposed to be the spiritual heads of their home, raising and disciplining their children the way that they should go? And why are there so many lazy men, men who don't take responsibility, who will abdicate, get, let their wife do everything and they sit around? don't do much. They're not much of leaders. Where have our leaders gone? Now this question is part of a, of a larger thesis. I've been thinking about writing a book on this topic because when I was in my Bible college studies, it was in a Pentecostal institution, and I, I had this shove down my throat, this idea that all leadership is is, is servanthood servant leadership, servant leadership, and um, they would give, like, the theory wasn't always wrong in what they said. It was completely assumed. Uh, it was the only position ever really given, and every, any other way of thinking about leadership was essentially just tossed aside and assumed to be wrong. Servant leadership in practice, though, essentially looked like limp-wristed, uh, total empathy, never say anything that could offend the truth you gotta be soft and it's all about your tone it's just weak stuff is what it is what it actually looked like this servant leadership it got shoved down our throats and for them the way that you lead is by your serving and that's not completely wrong jesus christ of course is one who emulated servanthood in his leadership. But the way that it looked is vastly different than all you ever are is this limp-wristed, behind the scenes, never say truth that offends, never take a stand, never fight. Like that That's not servant leadership. Uh, so the, the type of servant leadership that I'm kind of speaking against right now is one that never takes charge, uh, goes to the front, puts themselves between the enemy and the ones they're supposed to protect, and puts their life down on the line for the person they're supposed to be protecting. So rather than serve or uh, lead by serving, I would call this book Serve by Leading. The best way, if you are a leader, the best way that you can be serving your people is by leading them. That is your service, is to lead them. People need to be led. We are created by God to be in relationship with one another, and in these relationships, some will be our leaders, and we are to be accountable to them. So the best way that my, um, when I was younger, when I lived with my parents, the best way that my father could have 
served me as a child, as a boy, was by leading, faithfully, strongly, uh, with, with discipline, leading my family, or leading his family, leading my mom, leading my brothers and sisters. That is how he could have best served me. Same with my pastors. Don't, don't be limp-wristed. Uh, don't be all gloomy, mopey, and uh, just always be in the background. No, I want someone I can follow. I want to be led by a strong man, a strong leader. Serve by leading. It's a good title for a book. Now, there is some, of course, some biblical theory to this. I look at uh, Exodus chapter 18. In Exodus 18, you'll probably know the story, but uh, this is one where Moses is leading the, the covenant people, and they're out in the wilderness, and Moses got so many things that he's got to take care of. He's leading essentially every aspect of these people's lives, and day to night, he is just dealing with people's cases of complaints and looking for how the law of God applies to their, this household situation or what this guy did in the camp and blah, 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 blah. And so day and night, he is just solving these cases for the people. And his father-in-law, Jethro, gives him the advice uh, to, uh, to basically divide the responsibility between other people. Get, you can't do this. This is not healthy, Moses. And, and so when he's talking to Moses... He starts uh, kind of in the middle of verse 17, we get what he says. This is Exodus chapter 18, verse, starting at verse, middle of verse 17. He says, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will, will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice, I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Here's the key, though. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Then let them judge the people at all times. And he goes on from there. So the types of people that Moses was given advice, which he deemed to be good advice, he listened to the voice, he did, he did this. The type of men that he was supposed to be looking for, the leaders, were men who fear God, who are trustworthy, who hate a bribe. Now that may not be completely comprehensive of every... Like that's kind of an overview of what to look for. But there's some important characteristics there for a leader somebody that is godly and trustworthy hates a bribe now one interesting thing i love when scripture puts something in the negative this is really important in as a principle in understanding application of god's law you see how many times it's put in the negative thou shall not blank you shall not blank and then you shall not do this so whenever it's put in the negative we shouldn't just think of it as just saying, don't do this. And if you've, if you've been at all listening in any of my sermons or courses or anything that I do, you'll, you know where I'm going with this. But when it says, men who fear God, who are trustworthy, and hate a bribe, we are not just saying that they don't accept bribery. 
there's you're saying more than what is appeared to be saying. So what am I also saying if I hate a bribe? Or let me use something else. If I say I hate a liar, I'm saying more than just saying that I hate lying or I hate a lie. The only reason that I hate a lie is because I appreciate or love the truth. Those who tell the truth. I'm invoking a standard outside of myself to provide the definition and content to hating something. So when it says, or if I were to say that I hate a liar, what I'm also saying by saying that is that I love a truth teller. I love someone who holds to the truth. So when it says, look for those who hate a bribe, what is the positive side of a man, of choosing a man, an able man who hates a bribe? That's somebody who is honest, somebody who tells the truth, somebody who has integrity in the responsibilities that they have. Rather than taking the easy way out, they can be bought with a bribe. They're willing to pay the price for the truth. So if you use that principle, actually, when you go through Old Testament law, it'll so enrich your understanding of what goes on in the law. We'll be looking at that multiple times uh, in these episodes. Over to the New Testament in Hebrews 13, there's another interesting thing that it says about leaders and the type of people who lead you. This is in chapter 13, and he has to say this. The author says this to the people, 13 starting in verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So he's talking to Christians, and these Christians are supposed to remember their leaders, consider your leaders, look at them, watch them, and those leaders that he's talking about are, are ministry leaders. These are church, ecclesiastical, pastors. These are the ones who had spoke to them the word of God. Consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. Excuse me. And if you keep going down, he will say in that same chapter in verse 17, he says again, obey your leaders. So these are the same leaders that he's talked about before, the church leaders, and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So your leaders in the church, your pastors, your ministers, these people are given a task of keeping watch over your souls and will have to give an account before God for how they have done the task that they have been given. It is a huge task. This is why James says not many of you should desire to become teachers, for teachers will be judged with greater strictness. It is a very high calling. And so that is a calling that can only come from God and then confirmed by by uh, by people in the church. But these people are keeping watch over your souls and have to answer. If you are a leader, and I'm now talking to, to those who are in Christian leadership, if you are in Christian leadership, you don't get to run away from the responsibility that you have been given because you have to give an account to God for how you executed the leadership that God has given you. You have to give an account. And so, we, like, we know this task is heavy. I know. I know it's heavy. Yet when these crisis moments come and when you have, 
when you risk putting your skin on the line and you might get burnt for it, you have to be able to count the cost of that and say that it's worth it. Because you agreed for that when you signed up to go into the ministry. And if you can't, then it's not for you. God has given sheep who submit to you in under shepherd. They are called to submit to you. So you are supposed to be leading them, a leader. Guide them. Actually take them somewhere. You cannot abdicate. You can't run away. Leaders don't hide. They lead from the front. Now, outside of just Christian leadership, this also applies in the different spheres of government. Um, there's typically three... We talk about... The Bible reveals that there's three governments, three forms of government. You have your family government, so the home, your church government, that is obviously the church, and then civil government, the state. The family, the church, the state. These are different authorities with different heads, and they all interact together, but these are the primary governments that we have. And then there's a, a fourth one that's kind of of a different category, but that is then self-government. Um, and so when we're thinking about this principle of not being people who hide, who run away, then the positive encouragement is that we step up and take responsibility. We take leadership. We are disciplined people. Um, if you don't even know, if you don't see this much in your life, it you got to apply the principle small and then increase. So it starts with that other category of government, the one that's not really included in the first three, the self-government. Making decisions for yourself, your own health, your education. You're going to get an education that actually enriches your life and is about the truth. So you're not going to these these funky woke stuff. You're getting solid education. You're learning. You're listening to things that are uplifting and teach you something. You're listening to sermons. You're, you're getting a good education. You're reading good books. Um, uh, if there's hard things that you have to do, you step up and you have you start doing it. You stop putting off the things that will enrich your life that you are called to do. It's amazing when you start taking responsibility over things that you dread doing. When you actually start doing it, it's really not that bad. Think about yard work. Man, I put off cleaning up my garden and, and weeding and all that type of stuff for way too long. And then I actually start doing it. It's like, it's really not that bad. Man, I can complain so much in my thoughts before doing it. And then I start doing it and I think it's I go beforehand okay I'm gonna go do hard things and it's really not that hard and there's a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction after you do it and God built designed it that way that's that's all part of creation and of work and and how the Lord designed it so start small with this principle of taking responsibility do do hard things is there a conversation you have to have that's gonna be tough and you've been putting it off either with a family member or a friend gotta have the conversation apply the principle leaders don't hide leaders don't get to run so start with self-government yourself lead yourself and that doesn't mean usurping the authority of others um, part of taking responsible leadership of ourselves is knowing who we have to submit to and when we have to submit to them we all have to submit all of us so in your self-government you still have to submit in the realm of family, church, and civil. When they are 
acting in ways that actually correspond with their sphere of authority, you are required to submit. If you are a child, you are required to submit to your parent. Um, a wife is called to submit to the leadership of her husband. If you are in the church, you are called to submit to the ecclesiastical authority, the pastors, the elders, your overseers in the church, in all things that pertain to that sphere of authority. So the church doesn't get the authority to tell the family government things that don't correlate to their or don't fall under their sphere of authority. The church can't tell the mom and dad that they what time they have to put their kids to bed. Right, because that falls under the authority of the family government, not under church government. Similarly, the church doesn't get to tell the civil government which nation they get to declare war on. That's not in the church's sphere of authority. And so with the civil government as well, when they are in anything that appeals or is part of their sphere, we are called to submit to them in everything that falls under their authority. With the civil government, similar to the church, doesn't get to tell the family what to do with your kids. They don't get to tell you what time to put them to bed, what you have to feed them. It's not under their realm. Similarly, the civil government doesn't get to tell the church how to do worship or when to do worship or how many people get to be in worship. It doesn't fall under their authority. So leaders don't run. Leaders don't hide. And this can be a tough principle to apply, but start small. Start with yourself. Is there hard things that you have to do? It's time to do them. And part of good leadership of yourself is knowing when you have to submit. And part of knowing what, when to submit and how to submit, also the positive side of that is to start supporting your leaders. You know, your, the leaders work hard. I think, again, of that Hebrews passage. They're, they're tasked, the church leaders, with keeping watch over your souls, and they have to give an account. That is hard. That is draining. That is daunting. And I can almost guarantee you that your pastors don't get as much encouragement as you think they do. Support your leaders. Encourage them. Stand with them. If there's something hard they're doing or they're, they have to teach a hard truth to people and it's going to ruffle feathers, go up to him and support him. Don't knock him down. Don't criticize him. If he is doing his job lawfully and, and faithfully and with discipline and all that stuff, support him. Support them. I would even want to give a personal encouragement to specifically now to women. And encouragement can go both ways. Both genders, all roles need, uh, can, can use a word of advice. But I want to give one specifically to women right now. If there is a man you love in your life, be him, be him your husband, um, most specifically. If there's a man that you love in your life, be his greatest cheerleader. I mean it. Um, there are pitfalls for both men and women, husbands and wives. But one of the biggest ways to uh, to sap the energy and motivation for your man to be a strong disciplined leader is when he is just constantly getting criticized and knocked down by those closest to him rather be his greatest cheerleader you don't know how much you can help him be a strong principled man 
than if you love him through being his greatest encourager. So that, that, that's just one thing. That's one way to help. So, like I said, though, there's that, that can go both ways. There's lots of advice to give to on both sides. But for the man, he is called to be the leader of his household. And leaders in all facets of life need encouragement. They need support. So if you are benefiting under the leadership of somebody, go support them. Thank them for what they do. Don't criticize them. Uh, unfairly, don't knock them down, don't gossip about them. Support them. Support your leaders. They don't get to run. They don't get to hide. And men, if you are the type and you have a family that you are leading and you think that you might be somebody who kind of runs and hides and abdicates responsibility, it's time to cut that. It's time to, to recognize the role that God has given you in being the leader the spiritual leader and the direction setter in your home. That is an that that is a pretty weighty job that God has given, but God has given it to you and he does give the tools necessary to be able to execute it. So stop deferring everything to your wife. Stop making her do everything. You are responsible for the direction of your family. You are the covenant head of your household. So Part of that, that old phrase, man up, is that of take responsibility. You don't get to run. You don't get to hide. You don't get to abdicate to your wife. It is on you. Leaders don't run. Leaders don't hide. And next week, I tease this a little bit, I plan to bring in to the studio, the Sawatsky Studio. Ooh, there's a title. Coming to the Sawatsky Studio is a leader who doesn't hide. You know what month we're in? This is the month of June. They call it Pride Month. I want to bring in somebody here who isn't running, isn't hiding, and I think there's a lot that we can learn by talking to this man. So come back next week. Glad you were here. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Go in the nations.